The Democrat Party, dominated by extreme LGBTQ alphabet soup activists, has taken over complete control of all three branches of government in Minnesota. They've been hard at work pushing their radical agenda, recently passing legislation that will turn the state into a sanctuary for groomers, make Minnesota a destination for those who want to kill unborn babies, and punish mental health professionals for talking with their clients in any manner that contradicts the LGBT orthodoxy. It's some of the most extreme far-left anti-family legislation to ever be passed anywhere in the country, and it has consequences that go far beyond the borders of the state. Then, in our Behind the Headlines segment, Fox News and conservative superstar Tucker Carlson part ways. Biden announces his re-election bid, and corporations encourage employees to opt out of Mother's Day. I'm Doug Wardlow, and this is Founding Principles. It is time to go on offense. This is Founding Principles with Doug Wardlow. Minnesota Democrats, who last November secured complete control of all branches of government in Minnesota for the first time in a very long time, have unleashed a barrage of insane far-left legislation that seems to have a singular goal, transforming the state into an anti-family socialist dystopia. What happened in Minnesota in last year's midterm election is a cautionary tale for purple states across the country. Minnesota Democrats are demonstrating what happens when the left gains control of a state's government. The moment they won complete power, the Democrats stopped pretending to care about bipartisanship or the preferences of voters or constitutional rights or freedom or the rule of law. Instead, they have gone about pushing forward their extreme, radical, far-left, socialist, anti-family, culture-destroying, constitution-trampling agenda as fast as they possibly can. Last week, Minnesota Senate Democrats passed three particularly egregious radical bills related to abortion and gender. The bills are some of the most disturbing, dangerous pieces of legislation to ever be introduced anywhere in the country. One of the bills, the so-called Reproductive Freedom Defense Act, is part of the Democrats' multi-bill onslaught against unborn children. The bill is an attempt to promote Minnesota as a destination for abortion tourism and a refuge for doctors who break the laws of other states with respect to killing unborn babies. The bill is obviously highly problematic from both policy and constitutional perspectives. I won't go into detail on that bill today, however, as I plan to discuss it in connection with the Democrats' other extreme pro-abortion bills in a future episode. The two other bills passed by the Democrats in the Minnesota Senate last week, both of which have already been passed by the House and are ready for the governor's signature, are part of the Democrats' radical anti-family, anti-freedom agenda. One, Senate File 23, bars therapists from undertaking any form of what the Democrats call conversion therapy in Minnesota. The other, Senate File 63, is the so-called trans-refuge bill. Let's start with Senate File 63. Every conservative in the country needs to be aware of this bill, which the governor has said he will sign into law because the bill reaches beyond Minnesota's borders. The bill is an attempt to undermine other states' laws protecting children from the horrors of the trans agenda and to undermine parents' control over the upbringing of their children. In short, the bill will make Minnesota a refuge for people who want to force their children to undergo so-called gender-affirming therapies and surgery. As an initial point, We must never use the left euphemisms such as gender affirming or gender transition or even sex change. You see, the left has had a lot of political and policy success because leftists are adept at controlling the language. Sex change and gender transition are inaccurate terms which, whenever we use them, implicitly accept the left's point of view and affirm the left's radical agenda. That's because one's sex cannot be changed. Likewise, a person's gender is, in fact, no different from the person's sex, and thus one's gender cannot be transitioned. To use the terms sex change surgery or gender transition therapy is also to contradict God's word. Genesis 1 verse 27 states that, quote, God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. 
To use terms like sex change surgery or gender transition therapy is to assert that God is wrong and also that reality is not what it is. So just using those terms puts a lie out into the world. The left's latest euphemism, gender-affirming care, is one more step removed from reality. That term is a falsehood that contains yet another lie. It assumes that one's gender is set by one's choice or by some factor other than biology, and further that mutilating a person's body to allow the person to appear more like the opposite sex somehow constitutes caring for that person. Of course, the opposite is true. Mutilating a person's body in a way that allows a delusion about reality to take deeper hold is the opposite of caring for a person. If we truly love and care for a person who harbors a delusion, we try to help them see reality for what it is and learn to accept it and live in harmony with it. That's the only path that can lead to true human flourishing. So let's reject all the left's transgender euphemisms. Let's call this bill what it really is. It's a bill designed to lead children astray, to tear them away from their parents, and to provide safe harbor for groomers who abuse kids by convincing them that they should reject their God-given sex. So how does this bill, which will soon be law in Minnesota, achieve its goals? Well, for one, the bill bars the enforcement of any court order from another state that removes the child from the custody of a parent if the order was issued because the child's parent or guardian assisted the child in receiving sex-denying drugs or gender mutilation surgery. The provision would block the application of orders from other states that remove a child from the custody of an abusive parent. Sex-denying drugs and gender mutilation surgeries are, after all, a form of child abuse. Well, that's pretty bad, but it gets far worse. The bill will also grant Minnesota courts temporary emergency jurisdiction over custody matters if a child happens to be in the state seeking sex-denying surgeries or drugs and the child has been unable to obtain them elsewhere. This is beyond insane. Temporary emergency jurisdiction is usually only granted if a child is abandoned or if the child is threatened with abuse. But under the Democrats' Trans the Kids bill, a Minnesota court can take jurisdiction and issue a child custody order just because the child hasn't been able to get to a doctor in their home state to conduct a genital mutilation surgery or drug the child with chemicals that stop their natural development. Basically, instead of granting a court temporary emergency jurisdiction in order to remove a child from the custody of an abusive parent, this bill gives the courts the power to take jurisdiction in order to give custody of a child to whichever parent or relative or person is trying to help the child obtain sex-denying surgeries and drugs. But again, the new law goes beyond even this, seeking to directly interfere with other states' laws that protect kids from the trans agenda. The bill further bars the issuance of or the enforcement of any subpoena in any criminal or civil matter if the subpoena seeks information related to a potential violation of another state's laws limiting or barring gender mutilation surgeries or the administration of sex-denying drugs. The bill also bars the extradition of any person to another state for acts committed in Minnesota involving what the statute defines as gender-affirming health care. Well, that's quite, quite broad, as long as whatever acts a person commits in Minnesota related to an out-of-state crime involve so-called gender-affirming care, then the person cannot be surrendered up to the other state for prosecution. There are additional problematic provisions in the bill, but you get the idea. Minnesota wants to become the parent of our children, at least where the trans agenda is concerned. And it wants to reach across state lines to endanger kids from other states, too. Many other states are very sensibly moving in the opposite direction. States like North Dakota, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and several others are moving to ban sex-denying drugs and sex mutilation surgeries for kids, recognizing that these surgeries and drugs are harmful. In a sane world, everyone would recognize that they constitute child abuse. Minnesota is attempting to use its laws to nullify the laws of other states, essentially opening the door for groomers and gender-confused children to travel to Minnesota and get around common-sense restrictions in their home states, even to the point of tearing apart families and denying parents their constitutionally protected rights to control the upbringing of their children. And that's just one of the bills that passed last week. Another bill, 
HF-16, the so-called conversion therapy ban, bars any mental health professional or practitioner from engaging in conversion therapy with a a client who is younger than the age of 18. The bill defines conversion therapy as, quote, any practice by a mental health practitioner or professional that seeks to change an individual's sexual orientation or gender identity, including efforts to change behaviors or gender expressions, or to eliminate or reduce sexual or romantic attractions or feelings toward individuals of the same gender. As an initial matter, there are huge constitutional problems with this bill. Minnesota Democrats have apparently forgotten that the First Amendment to the United States Constitution bars the government from abridging the freedom of speech. By defining conversion therapy as any practice that seeks to change sexual orientation or reduce or eliminate same-sex attractions, the bill sweeps even talk therapy into its purview. So under this bill, it will be illegal for a licensed professional clinical counselor or a licensed marriage and family therapist or any other mental health practitioner or professional to even talk to a person under the age of 18 about reducing unwanted same-sex attractions. The First Amendment does not allow the government to determine what people can talk about with each other. This bill is a clear prior restraint on speech. Once signed into law, I am very hopeful that it will be challenged and ruled unconstitutional. The bill is also unconstitutional under the First Amendment for a second, separate reason. The bill is a clear example of viewpoint discrimination because the government is favoring one particular message while punishing another. The bill provides that attempting conversion therapy in violation of the bill is considered unprofessional conduct that may subject the mental health professional to disciplinary action by the relevant licensing board. In other words, if a licensed therapist talks to a person who is under 18 about reducing their unwanted same-sex attraction, that therapist could be disciplined and lose their license. But if a licensed counselor were to talk to the same person about how they should embrace and accept their unwanted same-sex attractions, there would be no punishment. That kind of viewpoint discrimination is forbidden by the First Amendment. There are also obvious religious liberty issues with the bill, which appears to be designed to target and certainly has the effect of penalizing and silencing Christian and other faith-based counselors and clients who adhere to their sincerely held religious beliefs concerning sexuality. I look forward to assisting pro bono anyone who decides to challenge this clearly unconstitutional and abominable bill once it becomes law. But the problems with this bill go beyond the host of constitutional issues. To understand some of those problems, consider how this so-called ban on conversion therapy is logically inconsistent with the Trans the Kids Refuge Bill. Now, logic isn't the left's strong suit. Leftists will never let a silly thing like reason or logic get in the way of their radical agenda. But the logical inconsistency here points to the disturbing truths about what is driving these bills. You see, the Trans the Kids and Harbor Groomers Bill welcomes and encourages children to indulge in delusions and attempt to change their God-given sex, even though doing that is not possible. It assumes that kids are able to meaningfully consent to dangerous and harmful drugs and life-altering body-changing procedures that can't be undone. But the conversion therapy bill, by contrast, assumes that children cannot give meaningful consent to talking to a therapist about their struggles with same-sex attraction. It assumes that kids must be protected from any discussion that is aimed at helping the child influence or alter those attractions or to live in congruity with their God-given sex. So according to the left, as embodied in these two bills, a person's sex can be changed, and a child should be encouraged to mutilate their body and take permanent body-altering drugs if they at any point feel so inclined. But one so-called sexual orientation, well, that, according to the left, is set in stone, and any attempt to even talk about altering it must be made illegal. The inconsistency is ironic and ridiculous, and it points to the ultimate truth about both of these bills. They are not at all concerned about the welfare of children, not at all. Rather, these bills are aimed at promoting the trans and LGB agenda, using the law to denounce any and all contrary views as immoral, wrong, and outside the bounds of polite society. You see, if so-called conversion therapy is banned, then kids struggling with same-sex attraction will be left with unresolved psychological trauma. 
More kids will find themselves being treated with antidepressants and other drugs, and more children will be pushed into so-called gender-affirming medical treatments, treatments that don't heal anything or foster psychological health, treatments that are often permanent, harmful, dangerous, and psychologically scarring. So in the end, it is clear that these bills are nothing but moral pronouncements masquerading as science, all in the service of a growing medical-industrial complex that it makes enormous sums of money from selling sex-denying drugs and performing so-called gender-transition surgeries. These bills are examples of the left weaponizing the law and using it as a tool to suppress and silence opposing points of view. We must hope and pray that these bills are challenged and rejected by the courts as unconstitutional. And it is my hope that they will serve as reminders of the high stakes of the culture war. We cannot win these issues unless we engage on them. And we cannot win elections unless we inspire voters, and that means capturing voters on an emotional level by demonstrating exactly what's at stake. In short, the left is coming for our children. So we do not have time for overly moderate rhino party leaders or candidates who shy away from controversial topics in the hope that appearing moderate will win them votes. That clearly does not work. In Minnesota, that mindset led directly to the Democrats taking full control of state government. Now it, will, now, it will take many years to undo the damage that the Democrats have inflicted on the state in the course of just a few short months. So let us all be resolved to lean in to the culture war, to speak truth, to be bold, to call out evil when we see it, to highlight the extreme radical nature of the left's agenda and the terrible harms that will result from it, and to show that there is a different, better path forward, the path of freedom, strong families, and human flourishing. If we all do our part, then together, by the grace of Almighty God, the light of truth will yet prevail and banish the darkness from our land. If you like the content that we are providing, please go ahead and subscribe to the channel, like the video, drop a comment in the comment section. If you're listening to the audio podcast, give us a five-star rating. Doing all those things helps us tremendously. All right, behind the headlines, first up today. As I'm sure you've heard by now, Tucker Carlson is out at Fox News. In a surprising announcement, the network said that they have severed ties with the right-wing rock star. Same day, Don Lemon also reported that CNN had fired him, but nobody cares about that. And absolutely no one is surprised with the exception of Don Lemon. Don Lemon is just ridiculously bad at what he does. So why did Fox part ways with Tucker Carlson? Well, there's been plenty of speculation. At this point, it's impossible to know for sure what exactly happened. But this news does raise troubling concerns about Fox News. It seems that Fox News has been corrupted. This is confirmation that Fox is no longer the stalwart conservative network that it once was. And we all liked Fox because it was the counterbalance to every other legacy media company for quite some time. For a long time, the leftist activists had CNN, NBC, ABC, CBS, MSNBC, and the rest of legacy media to pump out their left-wing talking points. And all we had on our side was Fox. Now, there are rumors about uh, Rupert Murdoch and his children, and maybe his children have taken a more active role at Fox. We know that they have. And it might explain some of the softening in tone, left-leaning hosts, and perhaps even the termination of Tucker Carlson. Who knows for sure? And then there's the question, did Fox's settlement with Dominion play into this? Well, it's impossible to know for sure, but the timing certainly indicates that it may have played some role. It's pretty under, hard to understand how Fox would pay a settlement to Dominion of $787 million, which is, according to publicly available information, a figure that is several times the value of Dominion itself. And then turn around and let Tucker go when Tucker reportedly brought in something like 40% of the company's revenue. There is definitely more to this story than we presently know, and it will be interesting uh, to watch what unfolds at Fox, if you're going to watch Fox at all, which I don't recommend that you do. As for Tucker, well, he's a national figure. For quite some time, his monologues have regularly set the dialogue for the national conversation. And he will continue to do exactly that one way or another, I am sure, just not at Fox News. Now, it might also be that 
Fox News will attempt to pay out his contract, pay him you know, whatever amount was left remaining, several million, $10, $20 million, whatever it is, and then lock him into that contract so that he cannot go to some other news outlet or start his own podcast or something like that. But I understand that uh, Tucker Carlson has hired a lawyer, so hopefully he can get around that or get out from under that if that is indeed what Fox News is trying to do, trying to silence Tucker Carlson. That might be what's going on here. But the truth is, we don't really need Fox News anymore. More and more conservatives are getting their news from a variety of sources that refuse to kowtow to the leftist narrative. You know, Newsmax, OAN, War Room with Steve Bannon, The Daily Wire, and of course, well, now you've got me as well. We have alternatives that we just didn't have a decade ago. Fox was great. It served the country well for a time. Maybe Fox will return to the glory days, but I wouldn't count on it. And don't fret. We can continue to push back with the alternatives that we have. Second up today. A new article from the Babylon Bee says that President Biden was told he is running for re-election in 2024. Now, I love the Babylon Bee. It's funny how their humorous articles are sometimes closer to reality than the real articles in newspapers across the country. Maybe it is true. Maybe President Biden's announcement was something that he was told to do. Most of the press focuses on the presidential primaries, of course, and and the focus has mostly been on, on Republicans because, well, we Republicans are currently out of power. What are Trump's numbers? Is DeSantis going to win? Will Nikki Haley receive more than 50 votes nationwide? Is Asa Hutchinson going to run as a Republican or just as a joke? All important questions. The news cycle happens so quickly that it's hard to pin down one aspect of politics and focus on it for any significant length of time. With everything going on lately, too many Americans have seemingly forgotten that our president is a weak leader who has no idea what he's doing and gets confused very often. The gaffes are funny, and the stammering at basic questions should make for great political ads in the general election. But are the Democrats serious? Biden has now announced his re-election bids. Will Democrats really support him? At first, I was thinking, oh, this is pretty much open and shut. Biden has a Democratic nomination in the bag, but who knows? Gavin Newsom is acting more and more like a candidate. He's giving more speeches, doing the press circuit. He's talking like he's going to be a candidate. The extremely horrible and awful Minnesota Governor Tim Walls is also acting like a presidential candidate. He recently gave a State of the State address where he outlined all the evil things he's done and plans to do, lying about his record all along. So lying and supporting evil. Well, it sounds like a Democrat presidential candidate to me. It could be that Walls and Newsom and all these other Democrats are vultures, metaphorical vultures, of course. They circle overhead because they can sense the impending death of a weak political candidate. They're waiting for the go-ahead to to go ahead and and run. Biden, Walls, Newsom, Murphy, Pelosi, it doesn't matter. All these guys are rubber stamps for the left's radical agenda. We conservatives must just stay focused. We've got to focus and run on the issues that matter. Lean into the culture war. Expose the evil agenda of the left. If we are bold and stay true to our principles, we can beat the Washington machine and lead our country back to freedom and strength and prosperity. Finally today, we have a bizarre story coming from the Daily Wire, which outlines how several companies have been emailing their employees telling them that they can opt out of Mother's Day. Hmm. The introduction and body of these emails all contain very similar wording with the same message. This caused the Arizona informer to note, quote, this is not organic. This reeks of anti-family activists. The emails were sent by companies including K Jewelers, Nespresso, Levi's, and DoorDash. Well, there are a few possibilities here. First, companies are now being more sensitive to women who struggle with infertility issues and might be understandably agonizing on a day that celebrates motherhood. Or, woke corporate culture is just so strictly leftist and anti-family that they are just out to discourage, undermine, and destroy motherhood. I highly doubt that the first explanation is the real reason for all of this. Many women struggle with infertility issues, of course, and it's tragic, and our hearts break for those who have to endure those kinds of struggles. While it's possible these companies are doing this to account for those feelings, I don't think that's the case. The latter explanation is the likely correct one. 
woke leftist corporate America is trying to discourage motherhood. Big corporations, they have a profit motive for pushing anti-family policies like abortion. They don't want female workers in whom they have invested time and resources leaving the corporate workforce. Mothers who stay at home with kids aren't at the widget factory. They aren't helping the CEO earn his huge paycheck. It's sad but true. For many years, companies have been working hard, many companies at least, to counter this country's historically pro-family trend. And unfortunately, they've seen quite a bit of success. The likely target for these opt-out of Mother's Day emails are the young female employees who have grown up in a culture that is generally opposed to family values. Many women who have risen up the corporate ladder say that they regret having put off or decided against having a family in their younger days. The fact of the matter is that human beings find happiness and flourishing in building families and raising children. Mother's Day is a day when we honor the hard, vitally important work that mothers do. Without good moms, our society would collapse. The same goes for fathers. It's really a shame that so many in corporate America spurn motherhood, fatherhood, and the idea of family altogether. They seem to only care about profit, but they should remember that without strong families, our country and all of our freedoms, including economic freedom and capitalism, simply cannot survive. Well, that's all for today's show. If you like the content that we're providing, please go ahead and like the video, subscribe to the channel. If you're listening to the audio podcast, give us a five-star rating. Doing each one of those things helps us grow the show and multiply its impact. And also remember, the CCP must be destroyed.